This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, we have been talking about what for some may be difficult subjects, but they're subjects that Scripture has a lot to say about. Today we're going to talk about the subject of sin. And that is something we don't like to talk about anymore because we're probably on the third generation, the second generation for sure. If you think about what sociologists categorize the millennials and Gen Xers and baby boomers, that we, most of us, have been raised to not feel bad. That, that has been the way we have been reared. The way parent, we've been parented, the, the academic structure, we just don't want to feel bad. And because of that, speaking about sin and preaching about sin is, isn't popular, I guess, anymore. In fact, the largest church in America that I know of that there's actually, believe it or not, like a magazine list called the top 100 churches in America attendance-wise, um, this particular church from what I know, unless something has changed, they don't preach about sin, or at least not on the sermons they put on TV, because it makes people feel bad. And, and we've been programmed um, to believe in the good of humanity, and there's some truth in that. I mean, humanity is made in the image of God. We are classified in God's eyes as separate from the rest of creation, uh, where Darwin's system wants to just classify us as one, uh, a higher level of the animals. Uh, God's system classifies us as those who are created in his image. Therefore, there is such good in humanity. And so there is truth in that. But if there is no sin, why do we need Jesus? If there's no sin, well, why do we need a cross? If there's no sin... What makes uh, the gospel necessary in our life? And so, yeah, there is sin, but there's good news. The gospel is good news. And sin, the awareness of sin, creates opportunity for us to discover who Jesus is. And I hope that's what we do today. We're gonna talk about what sin is, and then at the conclusion of today's service, we're all going to have the opportunity to take communion together, as is our custom on the second Sunday of the month as we pass the communion out and all take examination as a community and as individuals following Jesus. When I was in college, I was taking a class. It was an ethics class. That, that isn't the important part of the story. The important part of the story is this. Our professor told us at the beginning of the semester when we got the syllabus and it charted out how many tests, how many quizzes, how much reading, he said, there's a project. The project is this. You must read 1,500 pages of anything you choose having to do with ethics before the end of the year. And you just need to journal those and you're gonna turn them in at the end of the year. Well, that's a, that's a lot of reading. And so uh, I did something that at that point in my life was very rare for me, especially in college, and that I, I planned ahead and, and thought, okay, I need to read so much a week in order to reach this deadline. Well, I had a roommate uh, who was in the exact same class, and so I was aware that he had this deadline looming also. And so a couple of times as September came to a close, I mentioned, hey, you're gonna get started on that reading. Now I'll get to it later, he said. 
As fall break approached, I checked in again. Hey, are you going to do that reading? He's like, I'll get to that later. Thanksgiving came and went. Same result. The last two days before the paper was to be turned in, this guy was reading like a madman. And there was no way. I mean, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was dumbfounded. I'm like, it is, it is impossible. There's not enough quantity of time for you to read this. And I was incensed. I couldn't believe it. And honestly, I felt pretty good about myself too. I mean, I had not done that in a long time. I I had not planned like that. And I had this thing nailed. I had my bibliography typed out. Those were in the days, the ancient days where we didn't have computers. This was 20 years ago. We had to go to the computer lab and wait our turn. And everything was typed out, printed out, ready to go. I turned in my paper. My friend turned in his incomplete paper. I had done the work. I had accomplished what I needed to accomplish. But when our grades came in and I get a C in the course, I was shocked. When I went and investigated, I found out after all that hard work, after all that typing, after having the perfect bibliography and the discipline over four months, I had forgotten to put my name on the paper. So here it was, discipline, organized with a little bit of pride, but I fell short of the standard because I didn't put my name on the, on the paper. And he went on to tell me, Dr. Fine said, you know, I can't, I can't make a change now. It's like gone. It's in the computer. It's just disappeared somewhere in the cloud, the iCloud, 15 years before the iCloud came out, it was gone. So all my effort, all my work still fell short because there was a standard and it really didn't matter uh, if I almost was perfect. I wasn't exactly perfect because I didn't put my name on there. And my friend who wasted his time, didn't manage himself, uh, he got an equally bad grade. Do you know that here's the definition of sin? There's a lot of different definitions of sin, but those who went back to study the root words and analyze this, and there's lots of different helpful definitions, but I think this is a concise definition. It's this, sin is missing the mark. Sin's missing the mark, not hitting the standard. So it is that you may have done uh, work that's much better than someone else. You may have been more, more, uh, been, had better moral judgments and a better person and you can compare yourself to someone else and uh, your life is more disciplined and you're kinder, more kind to your neighbors. But yet in comparison to God's holiness and his righteousness, you miss the mark. And that's what sin is. And so it is that this phrase, some of these phrases have, have kind of become embedded in our psyche, but there's some truth and there's some, I guess, misconceptions about it, but it is true that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. And here's the reason why. There's, there's two types of sin I want to discuss with you. First one is inherited sin. Inherited sin. And th- this is the part that those who let humanism be the driving motivation of their life will never understand 
uh, that we are born sinners. And this has all happened uh, because our ancestors sinned. And so it is that when we're born, we have the sin nature within us. Uh, if you don't believe that, volunteer for the three-year-old class one Sunday. Three-year-olds are so cute and adorable, unless you have to watch them over five minutes. And then the sin nature. I mean, they bite, they hit, they lie, they steal. I mean, sinning is really, really easy for toddlers. Now, before that crushes us, think about what I said at the beginning. Yet there's nothing as beautiful as the innocence of a, a child. Because we are made in God's image and we're different. And I, I know we love our animals. Like it or not, I have three animals in my home, two dogs and a cat, and we love our animals and we care for them and, and you know, we feed them and play with them and do all that type of stuff. But human beings are different. Human beings are set apart. And so a child, there's nothing as beautiful as a child. And there's nothing as wonderful as a child. And there's nothing as godly as the innocent of a child. But simultaneously, uh, children and all human beings and every human being who's ever lived has been infected by this disease called sin. Now, some of you, a lot of you are involved in the medical industry you know, that's one of the, the biggest employer here in Middle Tennessee, the medical industry. And so you've probably seen something that I haven't seen, but uh, I've read about and I've asked some people about it this week to verify. And that is, I don't know if this is a proper term or not, so forgive me, uh, but a drug baby or a baby who is addicted to drugs at birth. And for these poor children, they've done nothing to deserve this addiction. But from what I've been told, is that because they are born addicted to a drug, that the medical professionals have to wean them off. And there's a chemical dependency that these children have to this drug that was given to them by their mother. And there's a lot of complications to that. And so it's not, it's not my purpose here just to heap judgment on those situations, but it is a very dark and very hard illustration to us of what sin is like for us because we inherit sin and it's part of our nature and part of that is it's not necessarily our fault it's just given to us now there's all kinds of questions that that start to emerge here about when are children responsible and you know, when is the age of accountability? And we'll just leave that to the hands of the father. We, we have a father who's so more merciful than I think we can even imagine. But look here at the scripture, Romans 5, 12. Sin entered the world through one man. That was Adam. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In the same way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Guys, this is why you need Jesus. I mean, if we don't accept our inherited sin, then why do we need the cross? Why do we need Christianity? Why do we need grace? Why do we need forgiveness? If, if, if we can just figure it out. Someday, the Bible is very clear that there's gonna be a resurrection of believers and unbelievers, and 
Every person's gonna stand before a holy God, a holy and sinless God. And, and when we stand in front of perfection, the sin within our lives, the sin that we've inherited, some of the sins, we're gonna become aware of this stuff that's just kind of been imposed upon us. It's been given upon us. Another example of this is in the Psalm, Psalm 51.5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So that's the inherited sin, but then the sin most of us deal with is number two, actualized sin. And that's just the stuff we choose to do. We just simply choose to do the wrong thing. And most of the time it feels pretty good to do the wrong thing. It feels natural. It's satisfying. It's justifiable, especially when we when we act in anger or violence towards people and we try to give justice to them, our sin feels natural, it feels right. The reason it did is because we've inherited that nature. And so we willfully make these choices that oppose the will of God and oppose the purposes of God. And I think one of the great challenges to our generation is our ability to justify our sin. Because whatever conduct our wrong habit or whatever activity that you're doing that opposes yourself to God's word, you probably have a pretty good excuse to justify that. And and that's the challenge for us. The challenge for us is the excuses we make about our sin. We make excuses and we carefully craft our own defense instead of taking the responsibility to say, God has a way, God has a law, God has said this is right, the other thing is wrong, and we've chosen the wrong thing. That, that's what sin is. Sin is rebelling against the purposes of God, rebelling against the plan of God. And sometimes we just don't like what God says. And, and we don't trust him. And we think that he's trying to steal from us or he's trying to prevent us. And, and so we lie to ourselves. That's why 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this way. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we're gonna have the opportunity before we take communion today. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have a whole generation that's lying to themselves. A whole generation who won't admit that we're sinners, that won't admit that we're rebellious to God's law. A whole generation that won't admit that God has a way and we like our way better. And now let's forget talking about generation. Let me talk about my life. I've been there and I'm sure I know I struggle with this too. Justifying my sin excusing myself, doing all of these things because it's so easy to lie to ourselves. Lying is so easy, it's so easy to lie. Have you ever caught someone in a lie? That that is an awkward, awkward moment. I was traveling with a group of friends and there was one guy in our group who we used to tease because he liked to eat ice cream a lot. 
which I had no reason to tease him, but it was kind of fun. Someone else, you know, someone else was getting the brunt of that. And we were in a setting and he had drifted off and he came back and said, hey guys, uh, I have a feeling there's a ice cream shop just around that corner. We're like, really? What makes you think that? Oh, I don't know. I just, just think there's probably an ice cream shop around there. Have you eaten any ice cream? There's one around the corner. He wouldn't fess up and finally someone pointed out, you've got chocolate ice cream dripping on your shirt right there. A lot of us are that way too. We're, we're, we're trying to deceive others and ourselves say we don't have sin, but the evidence is standing right there in our heart. The evidence is right there in our heart that we have violated God's ways, God, uh, violated who he is. So let's talk about the result of sin. It says, these are, these are some things that there's a reason why God doesn't want us to sin. God doesn't take pleasure in restricting our behavior. Uh, God isn't taking delight in uh, causing us to have this standard of discipline that we can't quite reach, and so we're dependent on God. Uh, no, God is our protector. God is our father. And there's very clear reasons why God doesn't want us to sin. Very clear reasons why it's not God's will for us to sin. And I'm gonna suggest a few of these. Number one is this, is that sin infects the core of our being. I mean, it just changes us. And I just, there's much, much grace for our participation in sin. But for those of you who have remained innocent in certain areas of your life, can just, by the wisdom of the Lord, remain innocent. Because once you go down a pathway, the first time it's so much easier to go down at the second and the fourth and the 15th time. We need to celebrate innocence. That's one of the reasons why I've never liked it when preachers, and I don't know, maybe I'm self-righteous. I don't think so, though. I've never liked it when Christians and preachers like joke about what they used to do in sin uh, with, with no remorse in kind of an immature way as if they wish they were still living in their sin. Just, I mean, I just don't think that honors God because I think that we need to encourage each other in innocence and we, we need to celebrate that and honor that because it's not about did you get away with it or not it's about the core of who we are and sin infects us and it corrupts us I mean we, we've been very very aware in our culture right now about how communicable diseases can spread and hit a tipping point. And so we've thought about Ebola, we're going into flu season, and we know now these, this concept of viruses infecting us. Can you understand sins like a virus that affects you? And there's forgiveness and restoration. I'm not communicating that at all, but there is a price for that. And the core of who you are, we find out there's so many scriptures we can look at here, but we find out so much from uh, Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus said this, either make the tree good and its fruits good or make the tree bad and its fruits bad for a tree is known by its fruit. A brood of vipers, he's talking here to, he's talking to the religious leaders, just so you know. How can you speak good things when you are evil? <laughs> Think about that, to the religious leaders. How, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. 
And a good man produces good things from the storeroom of good. And an evil man produces evil things from the storeroom of evil. And so we just see this connection that Jesus puts between our speech and our heart and therefore our behavior in our heart. It's not a, this is not about behavior modification. You know, like you hear from a nutritionist, you know, let's spend 30 days trying to change our diet. That would be a good thing. You, you hear uh, from a psychologist, let's try to change the way we communicate. All those things are, are, have value because wisdom comes from the Lord. And, and it's a way to modi- modify our behavior. But sin is much different than behavior modification. Sin is an infection within us. I mean, it's something that, that we inherit. It's something we choose. And it's something that comes upon us. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why when we sang earlier, those wonderful songs we sang, the richness of the lyrics, the richness of the lyrics are what make the songs. Jesus paid it all. He paid for my bad attitude. He paid for my road rage. He paid for uh, my rebellion and the way I spoke to my children. He paid for the way I disrespected God's house. Jesus paid it all. And, and this idea that that sin, you know, Jesus is just covering our sins so we could just get into heaven is such a small-minded way to see it. We have to see that this sin affects the core of who we are. And we become less like Jesus when we sin. And we, and, and we become less like he wants us to be. And the inside of us is corrupted and diseased and that's why we need his forgiveness and his grace that leads us on to the right choices. Here's the second thing. Sin perverts goodness. This is a really great point. I got this from a theologian named Stanley Grins. It perverts goodness. I mean, I think about the Thanksgiving blessing. It's right at hand. There's a really, there's a really thin line between exposing people to what God is doing and boasting getting on social media, praise God, we touch 150 families, woohoo, the church at Indian Lake. Now, exposure's good, and sometimes we don't tell you enough about the good things that happen here, but there's a thin line between exposure and boasting, and here's what I'm talking about, that sin, because we've inherited it, because it infects us, it sometimes even perverts the good things that we do. So it is that we take pride Just like I took pride in the good thing I did in my ethics class. I was organized. I was disciplined. I was thinking ahead. And you know what that caused me to do? To think I was better than my roommate. And spiritually, this happens to us too. So even when we're good, sometimes our goodness is perverted because of sin. Now, I say this, I'm not taking you to a place of hopelessness today. I'm taking you to the hope. So if this is feeling heavy and dark, That's what sin is. Sin does take us to a place of sorrow and then the sorrow leads to repentance. And the sorrow changes our mind about our sin and we turn our mind to Jesus and who he is. I want you to change in your notes Luke 8 to Luke 18. That was completely my error. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. We won't read it today you can read it later. Just make sure you change 18. Basically, you had two people go pray, a religious leader called a Pharisee and a sinner. And the Pharisee was boastful in his prayers. I thank God 
I'm not like this sinner, but the sinner was humble. I said, God, forgive me. So because sin is so powerful when we let it be, it can even pervert the good things that we do. Here's, here's number three, sin disrupts community. You'll notice on your outline, I don't necessarily have a scripture there, but I, there's no, no shortage. I think the whole Bible is about this. Sin disrupts community from the beginning. Genesis chapter three is when sin was introduced and it messed everything up. It messed up um, the relationship between a man and a woman. Sin disrupt the way we work and it's made work really, really hard and tiresome. Uh, sin has affected generations. Uh, sin affects our kids and our grandkids and our extended family, our nieces, our nephews. And so in Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world. And then guess what happens in chapter four? Cain murders Abel. And I think one of the darkest things about sin, and and this is gonna be a tender point here to to a lot of us, but I know this from being a youth pastor for 10 years and now being a pastor for 20 years, is that the most hurtful part of sin happens within family units. It does from the darkest things you can imagine, which those things happen and, and we've, I've had to report things to, by the law, I've been required to report things to the, to the government that um, I wish I never had to, stuff I'd, I didn't wanna know about because sin affects others. And sin affects the community. Why do you think that God, that Satan, excuse me, is attacking, attacking pastors and their families? Why do you think that when politicians are corrupt, uh, it, it affects the whole psyche of a country. Because sin is not just about you, it's about the people you love. Now, this is probably the lowest level of motivation. I don't want it to be your highest level, but if ever there's a reason not to sin, I mean, you don't wanna offend God because you love him, you don't wanna offend your family and you know all of the higher reasons. A lower reason is don't sin so you don't screw other people up. I mean, you're a leader, you're a father, you're a mother, you're a mom. Do you know what that means? You're a son. You've taken someone else's name. You're a daughter, you're taking someone else's name. So don't sin because it affects other people. I mean, that's the lowest level of motivation, but that should help us somewhat. But then we say, how to response to this great God. Help me not to sin, Lord because I love the community you've given me. I love my family. I love my church. I love my city. I love my nation. So help me, Lord. Here's the final thing. Number four, sin separates us from God. And that is the big one. And and this is the problem with the afterlife. Because at this moment, you can call in the name of Jesus anytime you want. He'll be there for you. But when your life is over here, you can choose not to have God and you can be separated from God. The scripture is very clear about that. You can be completely separated from God. 
That's, that, that's the, the deepest, darkest place to be. I, at this point, you know, I don't need to conjure up fear, you know. I, I just want you to think about what a life without God is like. And, and I don't want to be there. I don't want you to be there. Here, here's the last scripture as my friends are joining me here. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law for it's unable to do so. I mean, this is the heart of sin. Sin separates us from God. Separates us from God. And we we can't lie to ourselves. And so here it is. Um, Parts of this message does feel bad. It does. Maybe that's why we don't want to hear it. But the truth sets us free. And we look into the mirror and, and we see we're messed up. That's what the scripture said the word is. Our, we got bed head, we got sleepy in our eye. You know, you do that in the morning, you look in the mirror and, and this is what's looking to God's word. You see, I fall short. I, I'm infected by sin. I'm making bad choices. Um, and a temporary remorse will come, a temp, temporary sorrow can come over us. And then there's Jesus. The one who paid the price for your sin. The one who was the sacrifice that took your punishment upon himself. The one who forgives over and over and over and over again. There's no limit to his forgiveness. There's Jesus, the one who paid the ultimate price of humility for you. That's what we have. I'm gonna invite our ushers to begin to prepare to pass out communion today. And we've been, we have some, we're gonna take. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. 